Hello, I'm Martin. I'm a student minister at our church, and I'll be bringing us the Bible talk today. I'll also mention that shortly after the, the Bible talk, we'll have a short time for any questions or comments. So if you want to think about any of those for then, that'll be great. Well, let's ask God for his help in, helping, in understanding his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word, uh, for this word that teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. We pray that you'd give us understanding and clarity uh, to see what it means uh, for us and how we should live it out. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to think of myself as a good person. I try to do the right thing. I try to be kind, to be loving, to be caring, to listen well to people. I'd like to think of myself as a good person. And last year, there was an American study and they asked people what they thought about themselves. And here's what they found. Three in four believe they themselves are fundamentally a good person. But that's not all. 46% went a step further, admitting in their eyes they're better than everyone else they know. It seems like quite a few Americans think they're pretty good. Now, what about you? Do you think you're a good person? Do you think perhaps you're a bad person? Well, I think our passage today has a lot to say about what it means to be good or bad. See, there's a man in this passage who people would say, he's a good person. His name is Simon, and he's a Pharisee. Now, some of us here, we might know that in the Bible, the Pharisees seem like they're the bad guys. And there is some truth in that. But back in their time, 2,000 years ago, the Pharisees were highly respected. They cared a lot about following God's law. They tried really hard to, the, to do the right things. People saw them as the good guys. So in this passage, we have Simon the Pharisee. He invites Jesus over to his place for dinner. And Jesus says, yes. He goes along to Simon's place, and they're reclining at the dining table. But while they're there, someone comes in uninvited. She seems to be the opposite of Simon the Pharisee. She was a sinner. We don't know exactly what she did. Maybe she was an adulterer, a liar, a thief. Whatever the case, she lived a sinful life, a life full of disobedience to God's commands. People thought she was a bad person. But she does something even stranger. When she comes in, she brings this jar of perfume. She starts crying. All these tears run down her face and onto Jesus' feet. She grabs her hair and uses her tears to wipe his feet. But she doesn't stop there. She kisses them. She pours perfume on them. Now, I'd be really weirded out if some woman came in and wiped my feet like that. But back in, there, back in that day, this was a clear sign of love. Washing feet was a sign of love. Kissing was a sign of love. Pouring perfume was a sign of love. This sinful woman was showing her love to Jesus. Let's read of this together in Luke 7, verses 36 to 38. Verses 36 to 38. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. 
so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Well, Simon the Pharisee, he sees all this, and he doesn't think very positively about it. He knows how bad this woman is. And he's heard that Jesus is a great prophet. And he thinks, if Jesus really is a prophet, he should have known how bad this woman really is. But Jesus doesn't agree with Simon's thinking. And so he tells Simon a story. It's a story about a moneylender. This moneylender lends money to two people. And to the first, he lends a moderate amount of money. To the second, he lends out heaps and heaps of money. But they can't pay this moneylender back, so he decides to just cancel their debts. It's a short story. And after Jesus tells the story, he asks Simon a question. Which of the two people would love the moneylender more? Let's hear Jesus tell this story, and we'll see whether Simon answers this question correctly. We'll read from verse 39. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, of course, Jesus' story has a point. Have you figured it out? Well, the point is this. Forgiveness leads to love. Forgiveness leads to love. And great forgiveness leads to great love. And that's true for the sinful woman as well. She was sinful. She had done many things wrong. She felt the guilt and the shame of her past. Yet somewhere in her journey, she had come to hear about Jesus. She recognized that there was no way that she could make up for her sinful life. And she had trusted in him. She had been forgiven by him. All the terrible things she had done, all her sins, all of that had been forgiven. So Jesus' story about the moneylender shows us that forgiveness leads to love. Great forgiveness leads to great love. And that's true for the woman. See, she had experienced this great forgiveness from Jesus. So she responded with great love for Jesus. Great love to Jesus as she washed his feet, as she kissed his feet, as she poured perfume on them as well. And all this love was evidence that her many sins were really forgiven. But that unfortunately wasn't true for Simon the Pharisee. Simon the Pharisee, well, he probably didn't even realize how much he had sinned. And so he didn't think he needed forgiveness from Jesus. And he didn't love Jesus. He, he didn't give Jesus anything for his feet. He didn't greet Jesus with a kiss. He didn't show love to Jesus because he hadn't experienced forgiveness from Jesus. So Jesus calls him out for it. He compares Simon the Pharisee with this woman. No love, 
compared to great love. No forgiveness compared to great forgiveness because forgiveness from Jesus leads to love for Jesus. Let's read this together from verse 44. Verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as a great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Forgiveness by Jesus leads to love for Jesus. Forgiveness by Jesus leads to love for Jesus. But I think it's helpful to add another step there as well, and that's the recognition of sins. Someone needs to recognize their sins first. They need to see that they have this great need for forgiveness. And then they are forgiven by Jesus. Then they love Jesus. See, Simon the Pharisee, he didn't recognize his sin. So he wasn't forgiven by Jesus. And he didn't love Jesus. On the other hand, the sinful woman, she knew how sinful she was. She was forgiven by Jesus. And so she did love Jesus. Those three steps, recognition of sins, forgiveness by Jesus, and love, loving Jesus. And Jesus confirms to the woman that her sins really are forgiven. They're not forgiven because she's worked really hard. They're not forgiven because she's done all the right things. They're not forgiven because of how great this perfume is. No, they're forgiven because she had faith. She trusted in Jesus. And the other guests at this dinner, they start talking among themselves. They wonder who this Jesus is. But it's not just that they're unsure about who he is. Well, they've actually failed to see that Jesus is God, the only one who can forgive sins. Let's read verses 48 to 15. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. After Jesus leaves, leaves Simon's place, he continues his work of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. It's good news about the forgiveness of sins. And he's accompanied by some friends. There's the 12 disciples, and there are some women as well. Some of these had been healed by Jesus. And together, they helped Jesus with what they had. Perhaps that could have been food and clothes, things like that. They're a great example of what it means to love Jesus because they too had been forgiven. Forgiveness by Jesus leads to loving Jesus. Let's read from chapter 8, the first three verses of chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Well, do we see what we have today in our passage? There's a sinful woman who shows great love to Jesus. And Jesus teaches Simon the Pharisee, a lesson 
It's a, a lesson about forgiveness leading to love. Now, Simon, he hasn't recognized his sins, so he hasn't received forgiveness from Jesus, and he doesn't love Jesus for it. But the women, the women accompanying Jesus afterwards, they show him love by supporting him. So what does this passage mean for us now? Well, we saw three steps in the passage. Recognition of sins, forgiveness by Jesus, loving Jesus. And I think those things apply to us too. So I have three points for us. Recognize your sin, trust Jesus to forgive your sins, and love Jesus. Let's start with the first point. Recognize your sins. Now, for some of us, this is easy. We know how we've hurt God and how we've hurt other people. We felt the shame and the guilt of our actions. But this step about recognizing our sins is quite difficult for many of us. Remember the American study I mentioned at the start? Three quarters of study participants thought they were good. Or perhaps we're like Simon the Pharisee. We try really hard to do the right thing, and we think we are good but we don't recognize that we've done wrong. Or perhaps we pay a lip service to our sin, but we don't really believe in. The reality is that we've all sinned, and that all sin is terrible. No one is naturally a good person. And I think some of us, we don't, re- we don't realize how bad our sin is because we categorize sins. Some of us think that only the big sins, like murder and adultery, are really bad. And we, we, we say our, our small sins are justified. There's nothing that wrong about getting angry or checking out that hot girl or guy. After all, people all around us do that as well, right? But Jesus doesn't categorize sins like that. He shows us that all sin is terrible. All sin leads to God's judgment. Up on the screen is Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And Jesus doesn't just show us that anger and murder are both terrible. No, even lust is as terrible as adultery. Both lead to God's judgment. Again in Matthew, Matthew 5, 28 and 29, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. But why does sin lead to judgment? It's not simply because of the, the, the size of the sin. It's also because who the sin is against. All sin is ultimately against God. See, well, imagine if I, if I took out my car keys and I decided to, to scratch a, a rock. I'd be guilty of scratching the rock, but it's just a rock. There's no punishment there. What if I take out my keys and I scratch someone's old second-hand car? Now there's some punishment. I've defaced someone's possession. What if I take those same keys and I decide to scratch someone's Ferrari? The punishment is much bigger. It's much bigger because of the value of the thing that I've scratched. And that's the same when we sin. 
God is infinitely valuable. He is the creator and Lord of our whole universe. Every sin is an offense to the infinite God. And so every sin leads to judgment. It's a judgment that leads to death and hell, eternal separation from God's presence. The Bible describes this very thing in Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the first half of Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death. All sin is serious. It's deserving of death, and everyone has sinned. That includes everyone in this church building. It includes me, and it includes the person in your seat wearing your clothes with your name. Now, that's not easy to hear. It takes a lot of humility to accept it. It's a truth that's hard to swallow. But if you can accept it, you've done the first step. Point one is to recognize your sin. Point two, then, is to trust Jesus to forgive your sins. Trust Jesus to forgive your sins. See, if we recognize our sin, but we stop there, we'll end up in despair. We'd know how terrible are the things we've done. We'd recognize how wretched and depraved we are. We'd, we'd know that God's righteous judgment will come to punish our sin, a terrible judgment of death and hell. Now, is that what happened to the sinful woman in our passage? Well, she did recognize her sin, but she didn't stop there. No, she trusted Jesus to forgive her sins. And that can be true for us too. We too can trust Jesus to forgive our sins. See, Jesus proclaimed good news, good news about the kingdom of God. It was good news about the forgiveness of sins. We don't have to be stuck in this state of despair. But first, we wonder, how does this forgiveness of sins work? Sin needs to be punished. So how can we be forgiven if we've sinned against God? Now, the, the amazing beauty of forgiveness in Jesus is that he doesn't make us pay the penalty for our sin. The price for sin must be paid, but Jesus pays that price himself. He took our sin upon himself. He died on the cross. He experienced the wrath of God. He died so that we can be forgiven. And so what does it mean to trust Jesus to forgive your sins? It means accepting that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is enough to take away your sins. It means realizing that there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It means entrusting your life to Jesus. So that's why we don't need to be stuck in despair. We don't need to bear the weight of our own sin because Jesus has already done that for us. We won't have to face judgment for our sin because Jesus has already faced that judgment for us. Rather than the punishment of death and hell, Jesus gives us eternal life. We saw the first half of Romans 6.23 just then, but the whole verse says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So will you trust Jesus to forgive your sins? Will you accept his sacrifice for you? Will you find eternal life in him? The third point is to love Jesus. Love Jesus. If you recognize your sin and you have trusted in Jesus for your forgiveness, 
that should lead you to automatically loving Jesus. He's forgiven you this great debt. He's given you eternal life. There is so much we can be thankful for because we have experienced such great forgiveness in Jesus. And that forgiveness, that should lead us to loving him, to living with Jesus as Lord, to desiring to know him better, reading more about him in the Bible, sharing about him with others, loving others because Jesus loved others as well. But in some sense, I, I don't want to give us a, simply a, a list of ways to love Jesus. Someone who truly has been forgiven in Jesus and knows that forgiveness will love him for it. The sinful woman didn't need to be told to wash Jesus' feet. She just did it. And when I realized that as I was preparing the sermon, I was challenged. I thought about my own love for Jesus, and I realized that my own love for Jesus was a bit on and off. Sometimes I would remember that Jesus has forgiven me. Sometimes I would be thankful. I would share about Jesus with my friends. I would find joy in Jesus. But other times I'd find, well, I'd take that forgiveness for granted, or I forgot about it entirely. And so I didn't live my life out of love for Jesus. I was motivated by selfishness or merely out of obligation. And as I reflect on those times, I think I didn't need simply a list of ways to love Jesus. What I needed to do was to remember, to remember the depths of my sins and to remember the great forgiveness that Jesus has shown me because forgiveness from Jesus leads to loving Jesus. So let me ask you a question. How much do you love Jesus? If you're like me, you probably realize that you could love him more. And that shouldn't make you doubt your own salvation. You're saved because of Jesus, not because of your own works. But if you realize that you could love Jesus more, if you could love Jesus more, well, it comes back down to the, the first two steps. Recognize your sin. Trust Jesus to forgive your sins. And the love for Jesus will follow and I found that regular time in the Bible and Christian community has been so helpful for that. In the Bible, we're reminded about our sins. We're reminded about the forgiveness of sins found in Jesus. And when we meet at church and in Bible study, we're reminded about those things so clearly as well. Well, I shared at the start about an American survey. Three quarters of the participants said they were good. It turns out that three quarters of the participants don't realize how sinful they are. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the, of the glory of God. But like the sinful woman, we can trust Jesus to forgive our sins. And if we do that, that should lead us to loving him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for our sins. We are sorry for how we've turned against you and decided to run lives our own way. And so we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that he took out the punishment for our sins as he died on the cross. Thank you for the forgiveness found in him. And so we pray that, you, you'd, we pray that you'd help us to love him because great forgiveness leads to great love. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.